This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 15. Episode 12. This is Writing Excuses, writing the other, being an ally. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Piper. I'm Tempest. I'm Dong Wan. I'm Aaron. And we've been joined by our special guest, Aaron Roberts. Aaron, could you please give us some background on yourself? Sure. I'm a black speculative fiction writer. I mostly write short fiction. I do a little bit of fantasy, a little science fiction, a little horror. And I think the thing that I'm proudest of in my career so far is that my story, Sour Milk Girls, was in both the year's best science fiction and the year's best dark fantasy and horror. So wrap your head around that. Yeah. All right. So I'm excited because I love these takeovers. And particularly this topic is about being an ally. So I want to kick it off and ask all of you, Um, What are some things that people have done that you view as having demonstrated that they are good, positive allies? Um, Well, around uh, this topic in particular, the the writing, the other being an ally, um, one of the most important things that I have seen is when people who are, say, they've written a book in which uh, there's marginalized characters that are not that writer's identity. Um, they not only, you know, talk about their book and in the promotion of it, but they also say like, um, and I have read so much great fiction by people who actually do come from this identity. And, and these are the people that I went to, or these are the books that I read for research. And, you know, as many people will tell you, one of the most important things for writers is to, is to have people like boosting your work, right? Like have people saying, yay, I love this. And just like letting their audience know. And so if you're, you know, just for example, say a white person who is writing a book in which you have a black protagonist, you're going to have a whole bunch of people looking upon you, you know, all of a sudden on your Twitter or whatever. And for you to then boost up black authors writing black protagonists is a really good thing to do. Yeah, I think, you know, being a good ally is so much about centering the voices that you're trying to support, right? The mistake that I see so often, you know, not to talk about the negative sides of this too much, but, you know, the mistake I see is that somebody is trying to be an ally and what they're doing is, hey, look at me, I'm doing a great job at promoting this other person. But if you're doing that, then you're really talking about yourself. It really is about taking the other person and making sure the spotlight is on them, they're the center of the conversation, and, you know, not to flatter our, our, our group too much, but, you know, I think the writing excuses group is doing a great job. They put the four of us on this podcast to talk about these issues. They're not looking for us to give them accolades, even though that's what I'm doing right now. It's really about promoting voices from people who come from other communities who can speak on the topics that they want us to speak on. Mm-hmm. I also think that what's what I really love is when people care about you beyond how you can inform their story. So something that you sometimes see is somebody will come up to you and say, well, I am writing this book with the black protagonist. Tell me about the black things. And you're like, okay, that's, that's lovely. But I like if that person has a relationship with you, that somebody cares about the parts of you that don't just inform your identity, but you as a whole person. Because identity is just a part of who you are. It shapes who you are, but isn't all of who you are. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And... I guess this might be a little belated, but you know, for people who might be unfamiliar with the topic or the point of discussion, what's your quick, clearest pitch or definition for what is an ally? If someone would just come up and ask you, like, no, really, what's an ally? <laughs> well, an ally is a person who not only wants to 
who not only like says, I really want to support you and and make it so that like the spaces that you come into in the communities that I belong to are safe for you or safer for you, but actually like does that work and actually is like I get, you know, in our in our community say, you know, will you ride or die for me? Like allies will ride or die for you, but they will ride or die for you on your terms, you know, not on their terms, but they're like, what do you need? Do you need me to step forward or to step back? Do you need me to be the loud voice talking about these things? Or do you just need me to be the quiet voice stepping up and going, yes, because it's, it's going to change. It's going to be different depending on the situation. But, but allies, real allies, always look for their cues from the people they're being allies to. Yeah, I always believe that empathy is at the core of allyship. It's, you know, empathy writ large. And so looking to the other person and how they're feeling and what they want from you and realizing, you know, the power that you have, the power that they do or don't, and then, you know, trying to do what's best for the other person. I think sometimes uh, where allyship can go a little bit awry is when you make it about yourself and your reaction. I want to show I'm a good person by being an ally as opposed to I want to make the person I'm allying with their life better or make this situation better for them. I think about it sometimes in terms of like online gaming, like raid group makeups, right? Like sometimes you need an ally who's the tank, right? They're going to draw aggro from whatever's happening out there. They're going to get in front of the issue and say, hey, pay attention to me right now so that other people have time to figure out how they want to respond and what they want to do, especially in a dangerous situation or in an online dogpile kind of situation, right? And then there's other people who are out there trying to make safe space for people, make sure that there is a place to have a conversation, a place to sit and recharge, a place to, you know, kind of do the work behind the scenes that needs to be done sometimes to sort of figure out, okay, how are we going to move this conversation forward? How are we going to make improvements to the communities that we're part of, right? So there's lots of different roles that allies can play out there. And, you know, thinking about how you fit into it, what kind of skill sets you have, and what kind of presence you have uh, can be a really great way to figure out how to be a good ally and how to support the communities and the marginalized identities that you're trying to work with. Mm-hmm. So I guess one of the things is that occasionally someone who really wants to be an ally pulls a Leroy Jenkins. And all of us are just standing there like, don't. But come back. <laughs> Wait. Oh boy. And, and for those of you who, who aren't aware of this, I wasn't aware until like criminally recently. This is in no. reference to a video of like, you know, a group of people like they're getting ready to go raid something. And then one guy just breaks off and he's like, Leroy Jenkins. And he runs into the frame. They're all like, no, we, we had and a plan. And then they all had to go just- in after him and they all... <laughs> Died. They all perished. You just <laughs> they all perished horribly. Too many I mean, there's a quick line on fried chicken. But anyway, um, so in any case, yeah. Speaking of Leroy Jenkins, <laughs> as you let's do. be real. What's one of the most one of the experiences that stands out most in your line of someone who tried to be an ally and just overshot, missed the mark? Anybody? So there was this event that was, you know, for people of color in publishing. 
uh, wasn't officially with the group POC and Publishing, but it was an event that was intended for POC in a certain community to, you know, come together and sort of celebrate and talk about the issues that we're facing. And a ally uh, decided to take the mic and talk about what a great job that they had done to support everybody while, and were literally taking up stage time and presence away from the actual PC in the room who might have had something to say. And uh, that was a frustrating moment. Yeah, yeah, I would say for me, I've had quite a few instances where someone tried to demonstrate being an ally by stepping up and speaking for me. And I have to say, one of the things that I really appreciate about my partner about um, some friends who've known me for a long time is I don't need help being loud. Um, but I am usually the tank that needs a heal, right? So having someone stand at my shoulder and give me agency has often been um, what I prefer personally. And so the times when it's missed the mark for me is when someone literally has stepped in front of me to say words that would not necessarily have come out of me. Mm-hmm. and took away my agency for how to handle the situation. Mm-hmm. And to generalize a little bit, the, the place I see that most, and we kind of hit this note a couple times, but you know, when I see that happening in a variety of circumstances, it's usually because an ally is saying, you know, I want credit for what I did. But you know, there's, no, there's no cookies for being a good ally. You don't get a prize at the end. The prize is you do the work, because the work needs to be done, and it's important, and it's hard, and it's uncomfortable. But no one's going to say good job and give you a trophy at the end of it, right? So if that's why you're doing it, I need you to sit back and reconsider what is my role in this community? How, how is that being an ally to somebody if I'm trying to get a benefit out of it, right? Definitely. Uh, yeah. And those are things that I need people to think about as they're approaching these communities and as they're trying to be, you know, helpful. Um, but sometimes somebody trying to help, as we're kind of hinting at here, can do more harm than good. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pause us for the book of the week. And I think, Dongwon, you have that? I do have that. Yes. Thank you for reminding me that I have that. Uh, the book I want to talk about is uh, Paul Kruger's Steel Crow Saga. Um, it is a secondary world fantasy uh, that takes a lot from East Asian cultures um, and it has sort of analogs for a bunch of Southeast Asian, East Asian cultures. And it takes place in the aftermath of a period of colonization and empire where three of the nations have come together to throw off the fourth imperial power. So it, take, it follows four characters, one from each of the different countries, Um, who are all trying to figure out what to do in the aftermath of this big war, and how do you make peace, and how do you rebuild a world that's more equitable, and how do you keep other powers from swallowing your country when, you know, maybe your country is smaller and has less military might than some of the others. Just because you won the war doesn't mean peace is easy to achieve and that people's desire for empire and control and power stop. Um, This is also a book that I talk about as post-colonial Pokemon. So, you know, it's got a great magic system. There's lots of uh, anime nonsense. Uh, If you like Fullmetal Alchemist, if you like those kind of things, you're going to love this book. Awesome. All right, so I'm going to slightly switch gears for us in the fact that I'm going to ask for real experiences again or memories that stand out to you. But instead, I'm going to ask for an example of a moment when someone stepped to your side and um, really 
was an ally without blocking your own voice. Hmm. Thoughts? I have an example that has nothing to do with writing whatsoever, but it was a very sort of real moment for me. So I am a big karaoke enthusiast, as my friends and family all know. And one of the issues that you sometimes have in karaoke is that you'll have a white person go to the stage, they'll sing a rap song, the N-word comes up, and they decide that this is the moment to say it out loud. It's not, uh, for the record, (laughs) ever. So uh, I was at a karaoke bar and that happened and I was in a bar where I think I was like one of the only black people there and all of the white people in the room when the woman did it like gasped and like shame, they like sent shame stares at her and the woman stopped doing it and I loved it because this is something that really bothers me but and it has nothing to do with their lives but their like visceral reaction really made me feel like okay other people care about the things that are, are part of my identity experience even though it's not part of theirs. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I, um, I've been talking a lot recently about the value of community and the value of like small, teeny, tiny communities as well as big ones. And just like encouraging, especially my artist friends and like artists include writers um, to, to not only like find their place in large communities, but they're fine micro communities, groups of like, five, six people maybe um, that, that you can have like a group chat with, whether, you, you know, whatever you use to have group chats um, so that you can, you can get the, the support you need without necessarily having to expose all of your stuff to everybody in the group. And everybody in the group is just like, we don't know how to help. But like you, ex- you expose some, some sensitive stuff to like five really close friends. It's a different experience. And so I have, I'm, I'm very lucky to have a lot of these um, little micro communities, micro groups. And that is where I find most of the expressions of awesome allyship because, you know, I will come in and I will be like, oh my God, this is happening. Or did you see, or let me tell you. And the best things that they can do is they can just say like, what is it you need me to do? And I'll be like, I just need you to sit here and listen to me go off about those white people over there who did that thing that made me sad, right? And they're like, cool, and then they do. Or I'm like, I really need you to like boost this thing that's going on on Twitter and like, or very publicly be like, shut up people, like Tempest is awesome or whatever it is. And they're like, okay, I can do that. And then I do that for them too. And, you know, not all the people in these group chats are necessarily people who are outside of my identity group. Like some of them are and some of them aren't, but like, regardless of, you know, what they are, what I am, what the situation is, like, these are people that have my back. And I just think it's really important to just have people that have your back in general. Um, But then, like, that is where sometimes some people begin to understand what good allyship is. And you don't necessarily have to have a close relationship with a person to be able to do that, to ask those questions, to be like, is there anything that you need me to do? Like, what do you need me to do in this moment? to be a good ally. And sometimes it's to, to run out on Twitter and start like yelling, you know, or sometimes it's just to listen. Um, but yeah, that, that's the biggest thing with allyship is that you have to learn how to listen to what people need you to do and need you to not do. I can say, um, I attend a lot of different conferences, both having to do with writing in the writing sphere and also having to do with my day job and my career in a corporate world. And especially in my corporate pers- position, I am often the only Asian American in the room. And sometimes it's really hard to walk into a really big place 
For example, before I came to the Writing Excuses uh, Cruise and Retreat in 2019, I was at a summit of 1,700 people. And oftentimes, I was one of maybe two or three Asian American people in the room of 1,700. And one of the biggest things that really helped me be able to walk in and be confident and be a part of everything was the fact that a couple of my colleagues recognized me with a smile, made room for me at a table. We're like, hey, we're going out and, and acknowledged me, acknowledged my existence. And even if you don't know someone, the openness and welcome you can give by giving them a smile and seeing them, or if they're sitting by themselves saying, hey, are you eating alone? Do you want to be alone or would you like to join us? Just being open to that um, and not being upset if your kindness is not taken well because they could be under stress. But just having it there, leaving it out there, and then stepping back is an amazingly valuable thing in any kind of conference situation, any kind of public situation. Um, I would say those are some of my best memories. Yeah. And another thing um, specific to writing the other, one way that that one can be a good ally is to do all the things that that we have said on this podcast, I have said in other places, et cetera, that, you know, to to make sure that you're going to your sensitivity readers um, and listening to your sensitivity readers when it comes to the stuff that you're writing, to make sure that, like, the stuff that you are going to be putting out isn't going to be doing harm to the community. You know, do no harm is sort of like the, the philosophy that I that I try to instill in people with this. Um, and, and that is like one of the best ways to be a good ally as a person who is like trying to write other identities is make sure you listen to the people from those groups that you are trying to represent when they say, this is harmful, let's change it. Yeah, also, don't just look for permission. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I also really think that a lot of times, I think diversity is very important, but I also think equity is really important and that in writing. So you don't necessarily, it's always good to have a diverse cast, but also Thinking about the systems that have created inequity and challenging those in your writing, I think is also a great way to be an ally. Maybe you're not at a point where you're like, I can actually successfully write the other. Like, I tried it, it was a bad idea, like I'm not there in my craft, but maybe I can challenge the way that justice works in my system. Maybe I can challenge the way that sort of racial essentialism works in my world. And by doing that, you put new ideas out into the world that I think also help to promote equity and change, change the way that we think about the world. Yeah, one of the the best examples of this that I've seen, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this on the podcast before, is uh, Justine Labalastier. She's a YA writer, and the first several novels that she wrote, um, she always had a protagonist who was um, mixed race, POC in some way. They were they were all different, and and she did that be at first just with her first book, she did it because like that, that's what fit the character. And then she realized like how important it was for kids to, to be able to see themselves more. And so she's like, oh, okay, it's cool. Now I'll just like make this happen. But then at some point she realized that actually, you know, because she was doing this, then the publishers are like, we already have a book with a black protagonist. We don't need to buy one from a black person. And she's like, wait, oh no, that is not what I wanted. That's not why I was doing this. And so then she shifted and she decided that, like, in any book that she wrote where she had one protagonist, like one POV character, that that protagonist would, would be white. But that didn't mean that she wasn't going to include 
people of color and, and people of other marginalized identities in the work. It's just that they wouldn't be the protagonist because the protagonist is the one that like publishers tend to focus on, people tend to focus on, right? Um, but she did that so that she could, was, that was her way of being a good ally. It was her way of making a space and saying, I'm no longer going to be the one taking up this space. They can't use me as an excuse not to buy your book. Also, one thing I want to point out is, you know, we've been talking about a lot of sort of uh, POC-oriented issues, and we're talking about race and those kind of elements, but there's a lot of different kinds of allyship out there, right? Yes. Um, disability, queer, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of marginalizations that people experience, and, you know, even within POC communities, there can be a lot of tension between different racial groups, right? So one thing is just because you're marginalized in one way, you know, this kind of plays into the conversation on intersectionality, you have to remember that just because you're marginalized here doesn't mean you get to be a bad ally over here, right? And, you know, we all need to be looking out for each other and looking out for other people's communities and paying attention to, you know, different vectors of marginalization and trying to make sure you're supporting voices and, you know, respecting other people's identities. Because, you know, even when you have an own voices project, um, you're only one or maybe two of those identities represented in the book. And ideally, you got a bigger range of that in your project, right? So you have to make sure, even if you are a marginalized person and coming from that background, that there are other things you need to be really attentive to and make sure you're not stepping on those things. The work isn't done just because your own voice is really what I'm saying. Right. All right. So we're going to have to wrap this up with homework. Did anyone think of homework? Oh, yeah, I have the homework. Oh, you have the homework. I'm, I'm ready with the homework. Here is your homework. Um, I want you to find the most recent short story, book, you know, any piece of literature, you know, novella, whatever, that, that you have consumed recently that you liked. And then I want you to do two of the following five things at least. But you can do all five. You can want to leave a review on Amazon and on Goodreads, even though they're kind of the same thing, they're kind of not. Leave a review on Amazon and Goodreads. Tweet about it and say, why, why did you love this book? Facebook about it, because Twitter is not Facebook and Facebook has a larger reach sometimes. Um, tell other writers and like explicitly be like, do you need my copy? Let me just put this in your hand. Please read this, please look at this. Um, and the fifth thing uh, has gone out of my head, so I'm going to say it's Instagram. <laughs> Go on Instagram and say, like, take a picture, take a shelfie with the book. Everybody loves a shelfie. Take a picture with the book and be like, read this book. It's great. But, um, you know, do that because that's, that's a way of being an ally is, like, just putting out your love for that author and their story or their book or whatever it is. Um, Can I so suggest other a number people, five? Oh, number, yes. Tell a bookseller or a librarian. Yes, that was, that was what flew out of my head. This is why we have Don Juan. Uh, yes, tell them, because then they can be like, oh, really? We'll get more of that in. Awesome. So that's your homework. Well, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. This episode of Writing Excuses was recorded by Bert Grimm and mastered by Alex Jackson. Your hosts were Piper J. Drake, Kay Tempest Bradford, Don Juan Song, and special guest, Aaron Roberts. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. 
They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 